If you're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Emery's book, 1001 Albums, is here before you die. episode we'll be talking about cowboy junkies the trinity session in the room i have rob hey friendo and on the line i have kyle hi there the trinity session is the second album by the alternative rock band cowboy junkies released in november uh, 15th 1988 on the lanet and rca record labels the producer was peter moore and the genre is alternative country country rock folk blues i'm gonna read from all music review thom jurek who says you can't make a great record in one day or a night? As the case may be, the Trinity session was recorded in one night using one microphone, a DAT recorder, and the wonderful acoustics of the Holy Trinity in Toronto. The Timmins family, Margot, guitarist and songwriter Michael, drummer Peter, and backing vocalist and guitarist John, along with bassist Alan Anton, and a few pals playing pedal steel, accordion, and harmonica, pace everything to a crawl. That said, it works in that every song has its own texture, slowly and deliberately unfolding from blues and country and drones. An example is the Michael and Margot song, I Don't Get It, ushering in a few drawing guitar lines, a spooky harmonica, and brushed drums. Margot Timmons doesn't actually have a large range and doesn't need it as she scratches each song surface like an itch until it bleeds true. This is also true on Misguided Angel, where the verses become nearly a round, alternating between her voice and Michael's snaking spare guitar lines to fill an almost unimaginable space. The Williams tune becomes a dirge in the cowboy's hands. It's a funeral song or an elegy for one who has dragged herself so far into the oblivion of isolation, there's no place left to go but home. Michael's guitar moves around the changes as bassist Anton plays them. He colors the space, allowing for Margot to fill the melodic space spot on, yet stretching each syllable out to the breaking point. For most, this was the Cowboy Junkies' debut, and it established them firmly in the forefront of alternative scene with radio and MTV. As an album, it's still remarkable how timeless it sounds, and its beauty is voluminous and rich, perhaps even internal. All right, what do we think of Cowboy Junkies? Dude, this trendy is an incredible session. record. I incredible have never, record. ever heard this. And okay. I'm so happy I hear it <laughs> yeah. now. It's amazing. Rob, okay. One of you guys have to be familiar with the Sweet Jane song oh, from absolutely. the Natural Born Killers soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the first time I ever heard Sweet Jane. I mean, before I, you know, ever listened to, you know, the Velvet Underground. And for a whole album of that, like, I, I never sat down and listened to this record. It was incredible. I know you guys are going to get into mono recording um, microphone debacle, <laughs> but this reminded me of that uh, that Bruce Springsteen record, Nebraska. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I can see that. Totally. 
yeah, it's haunting. It's sparse. It's emotional. Like it's detached, but poignant. I don't know. I just like my friend Kyle in his twenties. Hey, <laughs> tell me more about this, Kyle. <laughs> uh, David Lynch sent me here for sure. Yeah, That's, yeah, yeah. What uh, what what movie did you hear? Well, I actually first heard them in Pump Up the Volume because they cover Leonard Cohen. Sure, yes, they they, they cover every, everybody knows. Everybody knows. Which which is not actually played in the movie until the end part until like the final. The or, it, it, it's like the. Is it right before he screams "Hack the planet"? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what's the other thing? Is this isn't hackers? Talk uh, hard. Talk hard. Talk hard, Harry. Hack the planet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a uh, it's played as a yeah like a reprise because his intro is "Everybody Knows" by Leonard Cohen, and then they did it for the soundtrack, which uh, mm-hmm. you know like a, a bunch of other bands like Rollins, I think. Fronted Bad Brains for Kick Out the Jams, and then there were like there were a bunch of other really good. Um, it's a great soundtrack. That's a great soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. I remember getting the soundtrack uh, in high school and being disappointed yeah. that um, <laughs> they didn't have there. the Leonard Cohen version. Yeah. <laughs> totally, but they do. I was they like do cowboy an, junkies. <laughs> they do an okay job, and then after that, I um, I think it, it took a minute for me to realize. Oh, okay, uh, and then I got started getting into. Angelo Balmentia from the Twin Peaks and all mm-hmm. that. And people are just like mm-hmm. cowboy junkies. Like that's, this is the, like the, the slowest melodic droney kind of female vocalist yeah. that Julie Cruz was doing. And, and every, yeah. this was yeah. it, you know? And so I, I started getting into that and then it led me to this album, but I had no idea about all the recording and stuff, which we'll get into. Yeah. I, I, I had just like when you were saying that you were here for the, uh, uh, th- this album on the chat, like, yeah, yeah. And, and I posted that like uh, you know like uh, alternate like Lynchian yeah. like soundtrack work. I guess it kind of yeah kind of is. It could be. I mean, yeah. you could put this on um, almost like any movie. I th- I think that Sweet Jane was a very subtle, interesting touch for like Natural Born Killers. But I mean, if anybody wanted to have a somber you know lonely person drinking at a bar or something like that this this fits perfectly it feels timeless every song has that sort of quality absolutely it's like lonesome isolation uh sort of introspection mm-hmm. yeah that, that big reverb and mm-hmm. yeah just a big smoky dark room is that just natural reverb from the yeah. hall itself wowie zowie that's yeah a, that's a good spot to record so when they yeah let's talk about the place they recorded uh more who was uh they had met recently they, they were went with some producers and they're like ah, i don't know and so they finally ended up with peter moore uh he he suggested the church of the holy trinity in toronto for its natural reverb and they had to convince the officials of the historic church. They said that they were a gospel act uh, called the Timmins Family Singers and were there to record a holiday radio special because they obviously didn't want, you know, a rock and quote rock and roll band, you know, recording there. But yeah, that that was it. They they played around one microphone and uh, the vocals were over the church PA. So. It's just incredible. I had read that the PA Sounds phenomenal. was yeah. left over from someone yeah. who had recorded beforehand. Yeah. Uh, so I think that was just serendipitous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just had to 
It's fucking incredible. So yeah, yeah. So <laughs> they take this microphone. Um, man, I, I don't know if I even want. Okay, we'll get into the microphone. I'm here for it. I'm really into this. <laughs> All right. So Moore had just purchased a high-end Calrec uh, Ambisonic microphone at the wholesale price of nine thousand dollars, and that's 1988. Fuck. Yeah, it, it was like a rare microphone that that you know, basically creates a sound field. So if you're thinking about a micro, I was trying to figure out how to explain this in layman's terms. And if I had to, a normal microphone like we're talking into right now is like a cup. Like you can project uh, what's going into that cup, but on the sides, if you try to, you know, if yeah, you try to you speak, can, it, it, it it's over here. You know, you, you don't get the recording. Yeah. It's over here. But this this microphone is like a platter you literally it's on you know you can lay it like on the table and then it creates this sort of bubble sound field where it records a 360 degree recording and so everyone can crowd around like a campfire to the microphone i have a serious question sure um does this have to do with cue sound uh no it does not do you know what I'm talking about, Q sound? I do know what you're talking about. Okay. They came and, and they did a lot of their rehearsals in garages and um, uh, different places. And that's kind of where they came up with their whole, I don't know what you would say, sound, the lo-fi, like very soft. They, they practiced a couple times. They got the cops called on them. They realized it sounded better when it's when it's lower. Like the, the way they were presenting songs just sounded Blasphemy. better. Blasphemy! So they basically... <laughs> Jury rigged the control room in the kitchen uh, at the church. Uh, and then, yeah, a couple times, I think the microphone got knocked over on the floor. But other than that, the recording went pretty smoothly. They just had to spend hours and hours positioning. So it wasn't hmm. about mic position. It was about them being in position relative to yeah, the mic. They spent a like good seven to eight hours of the day they recorded this just getting everything yeah. set up. like <laughs> So it sounded okay to record. Yeah. And to me, if you want to, I mean, if you want to talk about a just a wild idea is just to be like, how about one, one mic? Like what producer wants to do that too? Because... You can't turn anything up later. You can't yeah. alter the mix. You can't turn the drums down. If someone plays loudly and strums too loudly, that's that's in there. So yeah, I mean that's uh, the, the the squirrel the squirrel nut squirrel zippers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, uh, they did that with a what twelve thirteen piece band. I All think they went binaural, wasn't it? Wasn't no, it two? I thought it was one. Makes sense. You get two mics. I thought you just. I thought it was up. two. I thought it was one. But guess what? We're never going to get to that record. So <laughs> there's no way to find out. There is no. 
<laughs> the world will never know. <laughs> never, ever. Um, but yeah, uh, so they practiced for like a few days yeah. before going in and doing this, and this is what came out. Yeah, I love it. So good. The The thing about it, too, is um, I know we were talking about bleed over in some of these when we talk about albums or like, oh, that's definitely a live recording. You can mm-hmm. hear, you know, you can hear the vocals the, coming through the guitar. Exactly. Yeah. Or you can yeah. hear the sort of snare or, or whatever. Like you can hear that in this album. Oh, yeah. Like like the ambient uh, auditory ambience of the entire room. And it's 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 wild. If you want to know if like headphones are like really good or whatever, just put on this album like you can hear the yeah. ambient sound. They dumped it to two tracks, right? Uh, I believe so. It says that uh, they it wasn't away. mastered in Q sound. <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> Although it was stated on the album cover that the record made on two track RDAT, according to recording engineer Peter Moore, it was actually recorded on a Sony Betamax SL2000 video cassette deck connected to a Sony. PCM F1 analog digital converter using wow. the single microphone. Wow. But one mic going stereo into the Betamax getting dumped out to the digital uh, Sounds like audio it. converter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, they're... No, I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. It's, 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 it's crazy <laughs> that this the stereo field this thing picked up. Yeah. Like, it's fucking bananas. I Yeah, I... I can't quite process exactly how it works, but I mean, I, I tried my darndest. Uh, yeah. It says that the sound field microphone is an audio microphone composed of four closely spaced sub cardinal unidirectional microphone capsules arranged in a tetrahedron. Figure that out. It can function as a mono stereo or surround sound Nerds. microphone. Nerds. Yeah. So Nerds. Cool. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's wild. Yeah, this album sounds like it could have been recorded yesterday, though. I mean, especially like coming with these late 80s records where they're trying out all kinds of stuff, you know, like Def Leppard's adding the drums in last with some synthesizers. Like Mm -hmm. to hear this and it's wild that it's like state of the art and kind of throwbacky at the same time. Oh, yeah, it's it's completely throwbacky. Like the idea for recording this record was when they were on tour going through the south. Like, and this was just the, the tunes that were like coming through the radio station. Like this is like, they, they borrow everything from Nashville, like getting this thing done and in the best way possible. Yeah. It sounds, yeah. Love this record. Yeah. So yeah, the traditional ones, what mining for gold, blue, blue moon, which you think it's blue moon, but then she kind of tricks you and Mm -hmm. you're like, wait, are, are they just doing a little homage to blue moon? And then it's like, oh no, it is blue moon. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm so lonesome I could cry, dreaming my dreams of you, walking after midnight. I mean, Sweet Jane, which they turn, you know, that that's kind of the irony too, is they turn the Lou Reed song into a into like the the classic, which a lot of I guess new New York bands after Velvet Underground had disbanded and gone away, mm-hmm. kind of treated Sweet Jane as everybody's a uh, Hey Joe or something yep. like that is like, sure. Yeah. Just got constant play from uh, anybody who was, uh, who was playing there. Uh, Lou Reed, speaking of Lou Reed did say to uh, BBC that he called the version of sweet Jane, the best and most authentic version I have ever heard. Yeah. Damn. And he played a Metallica. 
<laughs> yep. Oh, Lulu. <laughs> we're getting that one. Uh, <laughs> no, we're not. We're, we're getting it twice. Where's the... Would you? Oh, we're getting S and M. Yes, we're yeah, getting, yeah, we are yeah, getting yeah. S and M. No. Well, I, I can tell you someone who didn't like it. <laughs> Who's that? Is it Christ guy? <laughs> sure, shit oh my is. God. What's his problem? He says, one consequence of the roosty two-track recording is that despite all her austere to impoverished arrangements and bell-like murmur, it's often hard to understand what Margot Timmons oh is saying. <laughs> is she driving to Nashville or on asphalt? <laughs> the tempos don't help either. Takes her many seconds to get from subject to predicate, leaving us with the usual oxymorons, histrionic understatement, and vague specificity. Why is she so sad? <laughs> she just is. That's all. Oh my god. C plus. <laughs> Wait, is that real? Is that satire? Yeah, that's yeah. real, man. You fucking hated this. I caramba. That's embarrassing. <laughs> it is embarrassing. And like this was on like a uh, a retrospective like 88 89 like thing that he wow. did and like directly like two below it is uh, Guns N' Roses Lies <laughs> where he says should not be heard by anyone. And you know no he's he's right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't understand how, like he must have just been having a bad day. Because I I was I was thinking like you know I I have no I have no like I I can hear exactly what she's saying like it sounds yeah. it sounds great and I yeah, don't I yeah. didn't know if that was like a remaster that we're listening to and maybe there was some like a it's but crystal it, it, clear it couldn't have been because I think we're just a little more familiar with this type of slow singer songwriter maybe mm, I mean he'd been that's he'd, true he'd been covering slow singer songwriters mm. for a very long time but I mean, maybe maybe he just got a bad pressing I think he, yeah. Maybe it just sounds like he, he's saying that her vocals are languid, like she draws them out too much. Yeah, and I, I, no, no, nope, 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 nope. Nope. You know what I did get a lot of off of this record? Uh, Richard and Linda Thompson. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, that's a, and that's a good thing. Very good thing. Uh, the Los Angeles Times named the re- record one of the ten best albums, nineteen eighty-eight, which is. Saying something because 1988 is no joke. Oh, it's a big one. Yeah. It's oh, really yeah. good. Uh, and this did really pretty well, actually. It got into 28 on Canadian top albums and it was uh, 26 on the US Billboard 200. So it really? Did, yeah. It, it wow. Struck, I think it struck a nerve. You know, 1988, everyone was doing hard rock and mountains what, of cocaine. Yeah, mountains of cocaine. Um, Thinking about heroin. But we had just yeah done Guns and Roses thing, you know. REM was doing their thing, and I yeah, I it's it's like those throwback albums that happen every once in a while, and I feel like this was is this the Moon Dance of nineteen eighty eight? Is this the Yuppie settling down? <laughs> I was gonna say sort of nitty gritty, uh, not nitty gritty dirt band. Is that the is that what we covered? No, what was the other band that uh, before my time? Quicksilver Messenger. Service? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Um, I think it is the uh, Nitty Gritty Band. Yeah, who yeah. played with the the whole Nashville scene. Yeah. Yep. There, everyone was like, "Oh, they're dirty hippies," and then they go and like get a bunch of the Carter family or something, and it was like, "Here you go. Here's some old timey music for us new hippies," and it's like a complete throwback. Yeah, but I could. I, I mean, this played on country stations as well as modern rock because of like Sweet Jane gave it like 
room to be yeah. on either either station. And uh went platinum nineteen ninety six. Did take a minute. Wow. Ninety six? Mm-hmm. Guess hmm. get, yeah, guess what pushed it over. Got a little natural born killer's bump. Yeah, it did. That that brought the album back into the, the sort of people top of people's minds. There's a lot of albums that I recommend that I'll, I'll honestly probably never put on again, but this one, yeah, this one's going on. This is a great record. I feel like this record needs to be at every dive bars like jukebox. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Like next to Patsy Cline. Yeah. Yeah. Patsy Cline. Yeah. It's like, and it should just be like labeled like this and Patsy, just like sad country. Like. <laughs> Hank, Hank Williams, this in Patsy Klein. Sad sack happy hour. <laughs> Wonderful, though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was really impressed, too, with Misguided Angel, the original. I, for some reason, mm-hmm. I was like, wait, I think this is a cover. Um, I thought it was, you know, Graham Parsons or someone. I mm-hmm. was like, uh, yeah. uh, a Grievous Angel. A Grievous Angel, will. yeah, yeah. And I was like, wait, isn't this a cover? No, it's not. And then I don't get it. Like, loved it. Yeah. Great songs. Yeah. And for them to it's it a kind of measure up uh, throughout the album, having like the covers kind of uh, match with the, the originals. I mean, it's great. Yeah. Was it the Willie Nelson record was the last one that we did that had so many covers on it? Yeah. Stardust. Stardust. Yeah. Stardust. Yeah. Another. I was thinking about throwback. that record when I was listening to this. Yeah. Yeah. It just makes you kind of feel good. Classic standards done well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also sounded really like really polished and really really good. One mic. One mic. It was said that uh Timmons' voice is like a lullaby from a distant past, frozen in time and projected into 1988. Agree. Agree. Mhm. Uh in there uh alongside with Low um Bowie? No, Low the band. The band. Oh. Yeah. Cool. Oh. <laughs> We'll talk about them. Along with Low, they were the only band uh, at the time capable of playing slower than Neil Young and Crazy Horse without the ear-threatening volume. Oh, my God. <laughs> it is true, though. I mean, it is so subtle and, and sparse. Yeah, sleep can, can fill a room, though. Yeah. yeah, But, yeah, not, but not, not as quiet. Not as quiet, yeah. <laughs> It might be one of the quietest albums I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I went to a low concert and I promptly almost fell asleep. Did you squeak your chair and get yelled at? I don't know. I, no, I don't. I don't think so. I had a chair. That was cool. That's good. <laughs> but but uh, that was Nim. That happened at low. That happened at low. Oh man. yeah, low. The, oh, over man. the what was Kathy's spot on a oh. the volcano round? Nope, different one. The first one. Shit house. <laughs> yeah, more or less. The one where she charged us $10 for uh, like a <laughs> cheese. cheese sandwich because she was going broke. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I was. I, the Music Box Cafe. There it is. I did. There we go. I was able to sit down, though. 
planted <laughs> myself in one of those rhinos couches, which are were gross, but I was like, I'm not standing up for this. Yeah. Oh God, are they putting are they putting pillows on the drums? Oh no. <laughs> yeah. What show did they go to? <laughs> it was interesting though. I will say it's one seeing a band like this. Um, that place so quiet is is really strange. Yeah, I mean it does. It harkens back to those like avant performers. That's like the room creates the um, the sort of ambiance of the music. Like mm-hmm. it's part of the people's interaction and how they like a real Nighthawks at the diner yeah yeah situation. <laughs> it, yeah. it creates those uh, uh, John Cage like elements. Yeah. So. Yeah. And either it sucks you in as an audience member or it just bores you. It sucks. Members. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I do remember there was one. Uh, are we going to get low in this book? We have to. Is that, I don't know if we will. That seems like a weird thing to do. Low by Cracker? <laughs> I wish. Cracker's not in here, I don't think. Yeah. Cracker smokes. Cracker's great. <laughs> Kerosene hat. Camper Ben rules. Camper Van Beethoven also rules. Should I do that in the uh... low? No, no, I don't think we get low. Uh, I did hear that at a low concert, like people were like really pissed that they didn't do an encore and they played for like 30 minutes. And I was like, get what you get. Yeah. Well, that's how low rolls. <laughs> so how do they protest? They where the like fuck are they going to go on this rhino stage? There's no, think, but they're going to go in the alley and then come back around the front because the door <laughs> locked behind sleep them. For you ding dong. Four dogs. hours. <laughs> uh, Jesus. I'll show you. I brought a pillow in my backpack. Yeah. Uh, what do we think? What do we think overall? I love it. This is um, a fantastic, fantastic yeah. record. Put it on. Yeah, I, I would positive. Yeah, I would recommend this to yeah. people. When is the good? When is the best time to put this album on? It's that's raining. When it's raining. Yeah, okay. uh, this is. I, I would go with our uh, our Stardust uh, mm-hmm. recommendation. And, sure. Uh, yeah. co- rainy, rainy morning coffee. Mm-hmm. Good one. Sure. Um, yeah, winding down for sure. Definitely not in the middle of a party, but if you're trying to get people to go home, yeah, toss this on. Yeah, yeah. This is a very. I mean, we've been talking. It's a very talkable album, too. Yeah. Like you can talk over it and still feel like you're absorbing some of the melodies. So, yeah. Cool. Next time, we'll be talking about Tracy Chapman. to me.